Welcome to Roll Calling, a podcast about actors we love and the movies we love them in. I'm Ned Baker, and I'm just glad to be alive right now. And I'm Caroline Sita, and I have Desposito stuck in my head. What? <laughs> just because the title of the film would just, fit well with oh, the song. Oh, De- oh, <laughs> I see. Desperado. I, I see, I see. Okay. It was, was a thinker like, to start was... out this uh, podcast with. Well, evidently, because it got me <laughs> it got me thinking. Um, the way that this uh, thinker of a podcast works is that Caroline and I take turns creating a five-film miniseries starring an actor we love. Last week we did, well, not quite one film, but several, focusing on 1989's Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down, but really talking about all five films Antonio Banderas and Pedro Almodovar made together in the 1980s. And this week we are landing smack dab in the middle of the 90s with what feels to me like a very 90s action movie. Desperado. <laughs> Heads up, I don't really see a way to discuss this movie without us covering a lot of that very 90s violence and gunplay that's in it. So if that is not something you want to hear about right now, that's fine. I would just skip this episode and we will have more uh, Banderas content for you soon. But so yeah, so last week we talked about the 80s. We also have talked a little bit about uh, the late 90s with Mask of Zorro. Banderas stays working after those uh, Almodovar films, and he does come to Hollywood. As, as, as you kind of lined it out in the first episode, I think it was in the first episode that we talked about how he's really doing Spanish films in the 80s, and then he goes Hollywood like right mm-hmm. in the beginning of the 90s. Um, some of the big titles that I recognized in the early 90s were Mambo Kings, uh, which I think we might have mentioned was his first English language movie, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. It was. The one he had to... Memorize his lines phonetically. Uh, what do you know about uh, Mambo Kings? Not much. That's Not what much. I know about it. That he had he to... plays a trumpet player. Okay, well, <laughs> he had was... to learn his lines phonetically. It really is impressive how much his English seems to have like grown very quickly over his Hollywood yeah. career. I think about if I had to go to another country where I didn't speak the language and within five years sort of be relatively fluent. Like, what a skill. Yes, truly. But so yeah, he makes Mambo Kings. Maybe one day one of us will watch that movie. He makes Philadelphia. Have you seen Philadelphia? I have, yeah. I have not. He one of one story that I read about Philadelphia was that there we might have talked about this last week, but there he plays Tom Hanks's boyfriend in that movie and mm-hmm. there is like a relatively chaste, certainly by Almodovar standards, kiss there, but that it was Antonio's idea to include that. And that hmm. sort of once he brought it up, everyone was like, oh, yeah, of course, that's what should happen there. But it kind of took him to be the one to suggest that. It's a relatively small. He kind of is in supporting role yeah. world for a couple movies here. Yeah. Similarly, the the other big title in there in that, that early 90s is Interview with the Vampire, The Vampire Chronicles. I had no idea that uh, subtitle existed. <laughs> uh, you must not play actoral. Do you know actoral? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it just came up sometime recently i forget who but i was like oh there's a there's a subtitle after that one but it totally threw it off yeah so interview with the vampire the vampire chronicles uh have you seen that one Mm -hmm. yeah i actually didn't remember him being in it though is that bad (laughs) maybe it was just that kiki dunn so uh fills my mind of what that movie is there are a lot of i'd say more memorable performances you have i'd say an all-time kiki dunn's performance and really distinctive Anyway, you have performances from Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise that I feel must come up 
when you talk about them. And I wouldn't say that's true for Antonio Banderas' Armand. I feel like he's he's supporting, he's involved in some kind of moody but sexy vampire power play. I don't remember. I rewatched a scene from it right before this where I think Brad Pitt is saying, like, I don't even remember what he's saying, something sort of, like, ominous and threatening, but he says it, like, directly into Antonio Banderas' mouth, which I did not... <laughs> I did not remember, but uh, I remember but, yeah, one more. time for my rom com column. Yeah, I was looking up. I I feel like it was one of those box office mojo lists that was like highest grossing, you know, LGBT films of all time, and the mm-hmm. number one was uh, Interview with the Vampire, which hmm. I I think is very subtextually queer. I don't know if I would yes. call it like the number one highest grossing gay film of all time. Yeah, that's kind of a, that's kind of a, there's a tricky sort of two-way street there because I fully support all very queer readings of all the very queer stuff going on in there, but it's so, as you say, subtextual that that, that feels a little bit, a little bit off. I mean, you know, Beauty and the Beast, the Emma Watson one, was, was, is that the, like a high grossing <laughs> gay uh, movie? gay moment, yeah. Because, uh, because of, uh, what's his name? Well, Josh Gad. exclusively looks- gay moment. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Still, Interview with the Vampire is one I would like to rewatch soon because I think I just could appreciate the sort of gothic, as I say, moody sexiness of it all a little bit more. But he makes those movies. He's got some other titles. And in 1995, he collaborates with Robert Rodriguez uh, to make Desperado. I think we should just jump right in. How, how did this movie work for you? You know what, Ned? I really liked this movie. Yeah? I've never seen it before. Didn't exactly, I certainly had images of it. I feel like the Uh shot of Antonio Banderas and Selma Hayek walking away from the explosion is certainly an iconic image. Yep. I, yeah, just like really enjoyed it. I ended up watching it twice and enjoyed it even more the second time, which was a Hmm. fun experience. I watched the sequel, which I actually really didn't like and confirmed (laughs) my appreciation for Desperado as its own individual like contemporary Western in a way that I feel like I hadn't seen done exactly before. Yeah. And I just had a lot of fun with the tone of this movie and with the performances of this movie and just kind of with the premise of this movie, I guess. What about you? It's got a very strong style and tone. I I think I was a little let down by this viewing. Uh, I don't know. It's just like, it just didn't click into place for me. Yeah, I watched it in high school. I don't think I appreciated, you know, in high school, I don't think I as much appreciated the sort of strong stylistic choices it makes. Like the, you know, the gun like blowing people across the room and out through the doors and the lighting a match on a guy's face and, you know, the jumping through the air backwards Some and firing insane, guns like throwing knives situation <laughs> yeah yeah it's basically the movie is is very much insane there's a lot of insane shit in there i don't think i recognize those things as being stylistic in high school but but i was a lot more i just ate this like shoot 'em up stuff i just ate it up in high school and i think that is a genre that i have cooled on a little bit um I don't know, artistically is part of it. Uh, I, it's sort of political worldview stuff is definitely part of that. But um, I think that, I don't know, I didn't dislike it this time. I didn't feel passionate about it. It didn't, 
it just didn't hit me very strongly. Maybe I should give it a, a, second, a second watch. Watch. You had previewed for me that you you watched you rewatched it before I had watched it, and you previewed uh-huh. for me that you were a little bit neutral on it. And yes. I actually found that when I I that surprised me when then I watched it because it does feel like the type of movie that could very much be in your sweet spot. Yeah, but maybe as you're saying, you've just kind of evolved to have a different movie sweet spot than than this one. Maybe I don't know. I mean, it could just be the mood I was in when I saw it. But um, I just felt like I think part of it. I I, I also watched it broken up a mm. little bit, and that I try not to do that with movies. I think it can really just kind of like mess with your head a little bit. Like in this, the first half hour for me kind of drags in particular. And I think that, you know, one of the problems when you just watch that half hour and then you go live your day, that's already kind of in your head being like, I don't know, where is this going? They introduced these characters and then they killed them. And I wasn't really sure what the point of them was. And, you know, that that, that kind of thing is going you on. You think- anti-Steve Buscemi monologuing to start a movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I didn't say there's nothing to love in there. I quite like, I love hot Buscemi. I love young Buscemi very much. Oh, um, hot Buscemi. What a flag to plant <laughs> do, do you disagree i don't know if that's how i would have thought to describe <laughs> him <laughs> i guess i don't actively disagree but i think it's just that i'm you know the image of him at like his current like boardwalk empire age mm-hmm. how do you do fellow empire kids was probably yeah how do you do fellow kids it's funny that i think of him as being very old at the time of boardwalk empire which was like 10 years ago but but i forget sometimes that in the early 90s i think he was kind of like a there's a there's a there's a type that Emily refers to sometimes called the sexual rat. And, uh, <laughs> you don't need to say it anymore. So, anyway, pointing out Steve Buscemi and saying the word sexual rat, I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. So, so yeah, I feel uh, like this also really makes sense. Like I feel like Pete Davidson could be borderline. He's not. Oh. He's maybe like a little too far. He's not on the same side of the line as Buscemi. But he's towing the line for sure. In his own way, he is definitely also like, there's a little tag at the bottom of his article that mentions like, for a series on sexual rest, you know. <laughs> there's one person I'm thinking of, and I can't remember a single movie they've been in, or wh- but I just know that this man is also a sexual rat. I think of Billy Loomis from Scream as kind of a sexual mm. rat. There's a lot of them out there. Once Shout you, out once to the you sexual the- rats. Yeah. Once you have the terminology, you're going to start to see them all the time and say, there's a, there's a sexual rat. Um, but no, I like uh, Steve Buscemi in the start of the film. I don't know. You know, I, I do not want to take down Desperado tonight. That's not where I'm at. I think it just slightly underwhelmed me compared to my enthusiasm going in based on some fond feelings I had of it from 10 plus years ago yeah i mean this is kind of a high stakes series for you because you are re- with this and with zero you're revisiting a lot mm-hmm. of yeah. nostalgic films which i yes. i do understand that feeling of of having high expectations for something that you love and it not quite matching them when you revisit it later in life yeah and i think i just i think it was like there would be moments where i'd be reminded of something in like from dusk till dawn which is another robert rodriguez film and be like oh yeah i like the outlandishness of that film a little bit more mm-hmm. maybe that's that's a nutso film maybe i wouldn't even like that film if i rewatched it now but it certainly feels fun thinking of it i think what i like about desperado mm-hmm. is the space it exists in where it feels both you know like a contemporary 90s film and mm-hmm. just like not like a 
Western-inspired 90s film, but a genuine Western 1800s set film where Antonio Banderas's mysterious mariachi character just wears spurs everywhere, and every time he walks, they have this amazing like spur <laughs> sound effect. Yeah, the sound design to Foley is good. In Incredible! This movie. Like every punch is a Looney Tunes sounding, you know, mm-hmm. punch to the face. I really liked the way it was existing in that space of contemporary Mexico and 1800s. You wild know, West. Wild West. I found that yeah. to be really a, a really satisfying and kind of unique mix. I also think this is a great Antonio and equally a great Selma Hayek. And they like that combo was doing so much to carry the movie for me, especially it takes her a little bit to enter the story. But yes. then once she does, I was really into it. She picks up the energy for sure. The way that she like literally sashays into this movie and then causes a car crash because <laughs> she's so attractive. Which and I then she's seen, like immediately involved in the shootout. I had seen that gift recently. Uh, there's just a shot of, this was one of Selma Hayek's sort of breakout roles. And like you yeah. say, she's just kind of walking this the street in like a little two-piece outfit, like a skirt and a you know like a really short top so midriff yeah. exposed and there is just very casually a car crash <laughs> at the sheer beauty which is understandable and i had seen somebody yes. gift that recently like oh remember this <laughs> like what an introduction as a as yeah. like a mainstream you know first shot to have in a movie she brings energy into the film and you know what while i'll say i do like steve buscemi's opening monologue i think that's quite entertaining his relationship with the mariachi like never never really goes anywhere for mm-hmm. me. The like the emotional impact of his getting like throwing knife to death is not very impactful. No. And they're sort of like telling not showing that they are best friends or that it's his only friend, you know, that that never like fully clicks. So the the mariachi Carolina relationship is much more satisfying, I think. And yeah. they they do have some good on-screen chemistry and the action scenes that she participates in to me, are the most fun. I kind of quickly realized that this is not a movie you watch for plot, and it's mm. not a movie you watch for character. It is sheerly a movie you watch for vibes, mm-hmm. which maybe yeah. is a lot of Rodriguez's work is like that. Mm-hmm. But this one especially, there's just such iconography to how the mariachi is first introduced in this Steve Buscemi monologue where he's recounting this semi-fictional story of this previous sort of shoot down that's happened and how you know you never even saw his face because no matter where he went the sort of the lights changed so his face was always in dramatic shadow that is a fucking great practical sight gag where Mm -hmm. he's like he's his face is in shadow and he's like walking out and you see the light start to rise and then like another shadow like moves (laughs) in front of it extremely good yeah the 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 setup there is fun. And it's it is interesting that like in that shootout, you have, you know, the gun that is just blowing people like literally like across the floor and out the door and through the windows and things. So I thought, oh, we're getting this larger than life action because it's a story. But then that is actually how <laughs> the all the action in the whole movie works. So but yeah, I think that vibes is a good way of going in. And and I have this sort of question of I think, frankly, I was a little like, there's less, I think, to dig into in terms of the character of the mariachi in this. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, like, it's not it's not so much character-based. And I was a little like, oh, did I pick a bad movie? Because Antonio's performance is not 
you know, like there's not that much to dig into with this character. But I do think you're right that it is another time when he gets what he's supposed to be doing in the film and he delivers on the vibes. A thousand percent. And after seeing him play, you know, through the 80s, a lot of these, um, I don't know, more, more nuanced, but also more like, I don't know, freaked out and anxious people. Yeah. The the mariachi is like a hundred percent unflappable, basically through the whole film. Like, there's no like, oh, is he gonna? I guess he has one sort of like stoic, like, oh, I can't kill my brother moment. But as you mentioned, like, that's not really a significant plot development mm-hmm. that we're supposed to like really like connect with on a I don't know an empathic level. It it just it just feels like part of the vibe, which does feel, yeah, kind of like Rodriguez's. I don't know, sort of calling card. Like, I think Mm -hmm. the vibes and tone are generally more what he's focused on, what he's interested in. Yeah, I think you're right. It's a style of acting that is not like character creation in a conventional sense. Mm -hmm. It is. And and Zorro's this in a different way. But Mm -hmm. it is a style of acting that is just creating iconography in a way that I actually think kind of very few actors can do right like to sort of be a 90s clint eastwood yeah like there's not a lot of clint eastwoods you know uh and i think that is especially when you go back to all those um almodovar films like we did last week and sort of see the origin of how antonio started i don't know if having seen just those films i would have thought he was capable of desperado Mm-hmm. Which is funny because probably Desperado set more of what my image, you know, for him was. Yeah. In a Hollywood way. But I think it's a very impressive sort of switch in acting styles into this really mm-hmm. like mainstream heroic performance. Yeah. Her- heroic, but in a very old fashioned like man with no name. I mean, literally, he's just right. El Mariachi. But this like. This thing where it's not about his, like, it's not about his, like, weakness and pathos. It's about him being this, like, towering, you know, bringer of death to the, mm-hmm. to the, all the, like, drug dealers and, and, you know, two-bit hoods in Santa Cecilia. Yeah. There's sort of two sort of ways I was thinking about this movie. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we can talk about both. But there's, there's this movie as it fits into antonio banderas's career arc which i think is a big turning point but there's also this movie as it fits into this you know mexico trilogy el mariachi trilogy whatever you want to call it of of rodriguez and i think that is also equal equally interesting because this is maybe the first time we have had an actor we are watching because you and i both went back and watched el mariachi which is the Mm -hmm. first movie in this trilogy it was rodriguez's first ever movie And for the sequel, which is kind of a sequel, kind of a remake, kind of just a spiritual follow-up, Antonio Banderas is stepping into a role he did not originate. And it's kind Mm -hmm. of the first time we've seen, you know, one of the actors we've covered on on our show do that so directly. And that was so fascinating to go – I watched Desperado first and then to go back and watch El Mariachi and see – how much Antonio sort of took the role in such a different direction and and appreciating how much that felt like something he was bringing in a way that a lot of actors wouldn't have been able to. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, he clearly wanted to bring something new and it's clear that Robert Rodriguez wanted to do something different because so El Mariachi 
uh, which I-, I would love to talk a little bit about the making of that film. But in terms of like character and story, the the character of the mariachi is like uh, he's it's completely he's this like kind of like I'd say like sweet bumbling oblivious kid mm-hmm. played by Carlos Gallardo, uh, who has a small part in Desperado as a uh, Campa, which is the the one of his his friend who shows up with the twin machine mm-hmm. gun guitar cases. Um, so yeah, that movie has this mistaken identity plot. And it's this kind of like accidental spy kind of character where he's like, I don't know why they're trying to kill me. I'm scared. And I guess the idea is by the end, he becomes hardened. But if we want to track this as one character, which is not, I think, really the point. But let's just say a lot of shit must have gone down in between films because I think he like picks up a gun for the first time and squeezes off one shot Mm -hmm. or a few shots at the end of El Mariachi. And between that and Desperado, he has become like yeah. <laughs> the, the craziest like gun martial artist. I, I think I read that actually Desperado was originally supposed to be called El Pistolero. Mm-hmm. So it was going to be like too. the guitar player and then the gunman. The gunman. Yeah. yeah, the gunman. So that is an interesting idea of seeing it as an evolution of a character who's become something completely, completely different. I do think that they like... They just wanted to do something a little different mm-hmm. with the kind of story and the kind of main character. I think it's a very fun sort of meta arc mm-hmm. because you have, you know, tiny little El Mariachi 1992 movie that is was reminding me of something like North by Northwest where it's like in every man caught up yeah. in this wild situation. And That's so you have, analog. I think, I think a really great performance from Carlos Gallardo who is doing this like very charming every man doing his best. Completely and then agree. you have 1995's Desperado, which is much more of the like quintessential, you know, Clint Eastwood Western. And you have mm-hmm. Antonio Banderas doing something like, I don't know, Tom Cruise in the Mission Impossible movies or something that is just so stoic and mm-hmm. and just about the imagery. And it's just a fun, like shifting actors in that way feel like I almost wish they had had a different person play it in the third movie. Do you know uh-huh. what I mean? Where it was like, let's get an actor that matches each tone because this persona is sort of ever shifting yeah. and he can just match, you know, whatever the movie is. I actually really like that as a, as a sort of meta choice. I had not seen El Mariachi before this. I think it's a total blast. That is a film that, as we were sort of alluding to, has a very interesting production history. It was made for something like $7,000. And actually had the Guinness, the Guinness record for the highest grossing or the the lowest budgeted film to ever make a million dollars in the box office. And it's like he didn't he just did one take of everything. He's like he shot the jail scene in an actual jail with an actual guard, and it's very scrappy, but I think extremely fun. Mm-hmm. I just love this scene where yeah, the the sort of comedy is very different. There's this scene where um because there's a deadly assassin who has all these guns in a guitar case. And there's the mariachi who's new in town and he's got a guitar in his guitar case. And there's a scene where he's in this woman's bath and she like puts this, she like shoots this knife under the water and like holds the knife to his junk and is like, play your guitar and sing right now. And then he has to perform this mariachi song uh, sort of nervously while she's like holding him hostage to prove that he's actually a mariachi and not an assassin. Um, So there's a lot of fun stuff fun stuff in there and i i agree that carlos gallardo is totally charming in a in a completely completely different role that just yeah feels like a feels like a kind of a hapless kid mm-hmm. um 
I think, honestly, I kind of like Del Mariachi a little bit more. This is kind of, maybe this is, we just call this shaft syndrome. Yeah. Because, like, when I went back to watch the, you know, the quote-unquote original, and I was like, oh, this is maybe more, this is maybe more my style. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I as I say, I, I'm not like, I'm not super down on uh, on Desperado. Desperado. Yeah, El Mariachi is really fun. I, I always think it's fun to watch sort of a director and auteur sort of find their voice in their first couple films. And I yeah. think El, Mar- El Mariachi and Desperado, which were back to back first two films, are like a really fun example of that. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, I think there's a lot of parallels actually with, um, Banderas, that, like so, Banderas has had this kind of like intense partnership with Almodovar throughout the eighties. Then comes mm-hmm. over to America, and, and in some ways, kind of finds a similar partnership with Rodriguez because they go on to do not just Desperado and Once Upon a Time in Mexico, but then <laughs> a couple other things, including like the entire Spy Kids, you know, franchise. Yes. But it just sort yes. of becomes this second you know, really close creative partnership that is kind of shaping his American career as much as the Almodovar stuff was doing for his his Spanish career. Yeah. Uh, so then how you watched Once Upon a Time in Mexico. I did not watch that. Thoughts? Didn't like it. <laughs> didn't like it. Great. <laughs> it was a thumbs down for me. So I guess we haven't really laid out the plot. Basically, Desperado is just like at a we're getting a revenge kind of Western with a hot yeah. and heavy love story in it. It's a movie that leaves me being like, I cannot wait to watch a whole movie of Antonio Banderas and Selma Hayek, who I adore in this movie. I was so excited to watch the sequel and just see more of them. Yeah. And, and perhaps this is the same kind of problem that plagued the Zorro. <laughs> yes. Do they so separate them? They don't just separate them. She only appears in a few flashbacks because spoiler alert, they kill her off. Terrible. Before it's open, they've killed her off, and he's trying to now get revenge on her. And she kind no. of appears in a couple flashbacks so that they can, you know, presumably put her in the marketing and stuff. I was so annoyed. He's really he's a very small part of it. It becomes this big geopolitical um, ensemble piece about a mm-hmm. about a, a a potential coup. Also, Johnny Depp is like the main the second main character basically the main character which is also a very weird time for that to be yeah, the movie that current events not yeah serving as well. yeah i did not really want to watch him helm a film at the moment no not at all so it was a it was a disappointment for me i think antonio is still good but i think mm-hmm. desperado was a real sweet spot of of everything kind of clicking for me in terms of what that kind of movie is gonna be yeah okay so what were some highlights of desperado for you Let's see. Um, I'm looking at my notes. I know. It's like we could we could go through the plot like we did with Zorro. So first he goes into a bar and he shoots everybody <laughs> in the bar. And then he goes into another bar and he, he shoots everybody in that bar. He, uh, he, he meets a beautiful bookseller and she sticks a cigarette in his open wound to cauterize it. Okay, here's it and, something I want to say. Please. I'm curious how you'll feel because I feel like this is kind of controversial. Okay. There's certainly some stiff competition. I think Antonio Banderas's chemistry with Selma Hayek in this movie is the best of his chemistry we've seen with anybody so far. Oh, I would put that... this above any of the Almodovars, which again are amazing. Like th- this uh-huh. is this is like you know first among what's that phrase? Best among first best. So, <laughs> They're all yeah. great. Obviously, yeah. we talked so much about how great it is with with Catherine Zeta Jones, mm-hmm. but I just feel like there's something about these two people 
you know, Antonio Banderas and Selma Hayek, there's something about them that just feels so right to me. Both sort of as a sort of sexual romantic charge, but just like, I just feel like I want to see them hanging out. Like they're really, all of that was so working for me. The scenes where they're just kind of hanging out in bed and playing guitar. Or as you mentioned, she's kind of like sewing up his various wounds at various points. There's a scene where he, he, he can't play guitar because he got shot in the hand. But then he, she does the frets and mm-hmm. he strums, like he finger picks. That is a great setup. I think that's the like prelude to their sex scene. Um, and uh, which is quite yeah, a that's, thing. That's a great setup. Yep, that's yeah. I mean, should we should we talk about the sex scene since it came up? Yeah, this was this. Go ahead. Well, maybe we're gonna say the same thing, which is I feel like last week we were or last episode we were talking about how the Almodovar sex scenes are so much sexier than so many ridiculous overly cut american sex scenes and you could not have a better counterexample than how horrible this gauzy one million candles quick cutting you know sex scene is shot of shot of butt shot of chest shot of you know lips yeah yeah this was exactly the kind of thing i was referencing when i said these mediocre american sex scenes so and like with hot people who, as you say, have great chemistry. Yeah. But, but but it's not working there. There was some story, too, about I think Selma Hayek just really didn't want to do any of this. Yeah. And kind of like, talked about it being pretty. She was like, she's she was like, Antonio is great. Robert Rodriguez was great. It was a closed set. But I still found the whole process of just like filming a naked sex scene to be like pretty traumatizing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I read that she like had not like signed on to do that. Yeah. That wasn't like in the contract. Yeah. It didn't feel so good. It makes you appreciate how much the sort of intimacy coordinators that are now kind of becoming industry standard as like people that are there to literally choreograph an on-screen sex scene as opposed to just say, actors, figure it out. Like it makes you appreciate how valuable that role is. Yeah. It sounds like that was maybe what was missing from this. Uh, yeah. I mean, piece. this is this is, this is is two of the hottest people in the world turning in a very mediocre sex scene. And yeah. I think you're right that that intimacy coordination and a good process that everybody is sort of an enthusiastic participant in, that can make all the difference in the world. Yes. I don't know if that was the case with Pedro Almodovar. For all I know, he was just having people like actually fuck. But I, uh, I, yes, I don't think it was a let's have a professional intimacy coordinator. That doesn't sound like his doesn't style. Doesn't sound like his style at all. But uh, yeah, we are we are, we at roll calling are strongly in favor. Hire these people; they are out there. Yes, um, but apart from the terrible sex scene, I feel like their chemistry is top of the list for me. I don't know if I can put it above. I don't know if I can back that personally, but I but I appreciate it. You know, for <laughs> me, the 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 Zorro relationship it's just their like their early flirting that I find so fun, and him wearing his like impish teenage ish attraction on his sleeve that i find really satisfying but i do think these two make really good scene partners and as i as i mentioned like i like i even like how they play through action scenes together Mm -hmm. when they're on the run i think probably my favorite action scene is the one where it starts with this bit of her playing guitar and he sees people like he sees the silhouettes of these assassins in front of the curtains and he's like silently drawing his guns yeah, I'm again doing one of these things where on the Zoom call I'm like demonstrating, but you can't you can't see it on the podcast. But but like tracking these people, trying not to let them know that he knows and let her know so she doesn't stop playing so that they don't find out. And then they're shooting and then there's running and the rooftop. 
there's this amazing jumping she does this great rooftop jump he somehow does this even more ridiculous great rooftop jump where he is falling backwards and then he jumps backwards (laughs) and his legs kick up in the air and he shoots two guys while he's falling backwards through the air and then rolls and then he drops these grenades which i don't even recall where those would have come from and then like you have this incredible like walking away from the explosion probably the best walking away from an explosion shot Yes, in film. so good. Also, somewhere in that sequence, there mm-hmm. is a, a much hotter than the sex scene moment where they just kind of kiss on the roof. Like he kind of grabs her and yes. they kiss there. That right is a before far she jumps. Superior moment. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's like she's about to jump, and then they just have this like we gotta we gotta make out first, and it's mm-hmm. a good. That's that's a good kiss, and that's where she has her little mismatched high heels because they have to run in a hurry. And what's um, that? Doesn't he stop? And he's just like, "You look good." You look like, great. She says, "Thank you." It's yeah, so when they're on the the stairway down, and he's holding his guitar case and his coat, and she's got the she's he has her whole one gun, and yeah. Did yeah, you know fun... that she voices the female lead in the Puss in Boots franchise? No, <laughs> I have not seen the Puss in Boots films, but I did watch some charming videos of them on press tours together because I Aww. think they're pretty good real life friends. Cool. And yeah, so they bring her in to do. I guess bringing in the way that Puss in Boots is sort of like meta riff on Zorro, I guess bringing yeah. her in makes it also kind of a meta riff on Desperado. Yeah, maybe they hit up Catherine Zeta Jones and she was like, nah. Yeah. And then they hit up Selma Hayek and she's like, yeah, I'll do it. Or maybe they went straight to Selma Hayek. I mean, she's great. She's She's got a great yeah, voice. Maybe. She's got a great, uh, she's a great performer. Yeah. They wanted to get both of elements of Antonio's mm-hmm. career in there. Maybe they are on your page and they're like, you know, the really good chemistry. (laughs) (laughs) We have to recapture the sparks. Her character's name was something. I don't know. It was not good. What, in this or in in Pussy? No, no, no. Okay, in this, her name is Carolina. I'm not going to dislike Of course, of course. The name I was called in my Spanish class for. Oh, nice. Many years of my life. No, her character's name in the Puss in Boots franchise is Kitty Softpaws. Sure. It feels like nothing. Like, is it trying to be a pun? What? Maybe that that's kind of feels like a James Bond thing. Maybe. But like, instead of being like sexy, it's like being a soft little cat. I don't know. I, I don't felt know. like they could have used a second draft of that. Yeah. Yeah. Other things I love about Desperado are, yes. and I really don't know how much I can emphasize. Over, I It would be impossible for me to overemphasize this, his hair. Yeah. Haircut in this movie, like th- when it started, it really hit a primal sort of <laughs> 90s i just feel like people don't ha- men don't have this hairstyle anymore it's like it's like the grown up version of the jonathan taylor thomas you know like shaggy long mm-hmm. hair just like circle cut all around center part like a little bit of that leo sort of you know bang moment and you i get aragorn and boromir kind of have that that haircut but Yes, but I think theirs is a little bit curlier, maybe. Mm-hmm. Bowman, yes, maybe it is definitely curlier. Curlier there's, and wetter. There's something know, about the kinda... length, too, uh-huh. where it's like just right at your eye level, and it'll sometimes be in your eyes. I was just like, Antonio Banderas should have this hair all the time. I mean, when you talk about iconography, that's a huge, just the look of him, the the suit, the guitar case, and the hair, and, you know, the big gun, you know. But that hair is a huge, a huge part of it. And, yeah, the first, the first shot... You know, he's in, he's in shadow in this very stylized way through most of his first action scene. And then Steve Buscemi recounting it. He's telling Cheech, who's like, did you see his face? And he says, no, I saw his eyes. 
And then you, it's the first time you see Antonio Banderas's face without, and he just like looks up through the hair and it's like, <gasps> oh, oh. I, I think Rodriguez is really good in this movie in particular at framing people's eyes. Mm. There was so much of this where I was like, God, these like Antonio Banderas's beautiful brown eyes, Selma Hayek's beautiful brown eyes. Like they were just so beautifully framed and sort of like, Steve Buscemi's big spooky eyes. <laughs> Steve. Buscemi's sexy, what was it, sexy rat? <laughs> sexual, uh, sexual rat. Sexual rat eyes. Uh, there's something about, you know, it's not often not even, it's like such a close-up, you don't even see their full face in frame. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, really their eyes. And I yeah. was really appreciating yeah. that His element eyes. of it. Should we do a little bit, so we talked a little bit about how this fit into the Rodriguez of it all. But I also think that, that like 1995, I was kind of discovering in my research, is like a pivotal year for sort of our understanding of Antonio Banderas as an icon. I think he mm-hmm. makes, he releases like six movies that come out this year, including wow. the movie that he makes with Melanie Griffith, where... So so while he's kind of having all these movies come out, he's also having this massive celebrity relationship that also has like a scandalous element to it because I think they were both married at the time they met on set and then oh, I see. divorce their partners and then get together, have a baby, like all within the span of a year or something. So they're mm-hmm. kind of having this whirlwind, um, you know, celebrity romance yeah. relationship that I think they are – they're sort of happy to sort of, you know, go on red carpets and kiss together and sort of like lean into the, the you know, power couple mm-hmm. element of it. Uh, he also this year releases a movie with Sylvester Stallone called Assassins. Very, doesn't do that well, I don't think, at the box office. Is critically, is critically reviled, but do you know what it gives us? What? The gif. <laughs> Do you know oh, what I'm talking about? Oh, the, the like, the lean back from the laptop computer, mm-hmm. like, oh, baby, I've done it, GIF. I would say probably the most, the biggest, like, legacy, current legacy of Antonio Banderas. Do you know what I mean? To general internet population. To us people who are critically on Twitter all yeah. the time. <laughs> I don't know if every, if the world is impacted by this, but we who go on Twitter see this shit all the time. Yes. So that reaction gif comes from the that movie Assassins, Assassins that comes out this year. I had no year. idea where you were going with this, but yes, I know I just felt like we had sense. to. We couldn't get through this series without not mm-hmm. acknowledging the gift. What gif? Which I know that he. I read some interviews where the interviewer was like, "Have you seen this gif?" And he was like, "Oh yes, yes, yes," and then kind of like reenacted it. Oh, <laughs> for that's them. cute. I would love to see that. Um. So yeah, so he's kind of having this crazy time where as you say he had been sort of building up his american profile with all those supporting roles and stuff like philadelphia and um interview with i always say interview with a vampire but i think it's interview with the vampire yeah the vampire well okay technically it's interview with the vampire the vampire chronicles (laughs) caroline please the vampire chronicles and then he kind of has this massive breakout year that i think desperado which is kind of at least his biggest sort of leading proper American leading man role. I think so. I think there's probably a lot of people starting to prop to like really fully notice him for the first time. Mm-hmm. That would be my guess. Yes. And so that's all coming, coming around while he's having this big celebrity couple moment. And I mm-hmm. think this is really where a lot of his, you know, sexy celebrity image comes from. 
Yeah. And and even if, as we have sort of alluded to, like, this is not maybe the most, like, like I don't know, interesting line delivery character creation choices, this is a thing where, like, now everybody can picture this guy and they have a clear image of him and, you know, the sort of way that the way that that image makes them feel like mm-hmm. you know, the sort of sense memory of him like twirling and sp- shooting his guns and you know having the explosion in the background and all that yeah all it's that so interesting stuff. to me i don't would never have thought this like i think this is a good performance do you not quite feel that way i guess i don't i mean i don't think it's a bad performance but i think it's just like i don't know the stoicism i just feel like there's not as much to dig into i mean he's got some great He's got some great moments. He's got a few great line deliveries. I really like this point where he says, like, uh, it was easier to destroy than create. And I like when he says to the priest, like, the priest asks me he wants confession. He says, maybe later, Father, because where I'm going, I just have to come right mm-hmm. back. But uh, Do you I not guess, often like stoic performances? I don't know. Maybe I don't. I'm trying to think of, like, I mean, like. You know, I love those Clint Eastwood movies we talked about, but not because I think Clint Eastwood is, like, so transcendently good in them. Mm-hmm. I think maybe just, like, I just had this feeling of, like, we're doing this acting podcast, and I didn't know what I was going to say about his performance. Yes. So is it more tied to the podcast discussion? Do you think you would appreciate it more if you didn't have to analyze it? <laughs> That's a great question. Um I say Maybe? that, too, with the sort of background that I understand this feeling from, like, a film critic point of view, where sometimes you're like, when a movie is all vibes, it can be hard to capture the good or bad of it sort yeah. of in, in words because it's not meant to be consumed that way. I, I think that I – I think that separate from the podcast – I felt that this, the watching of this movie just had less of an impact on me than I kind of expected and was hoping for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe I really appreciated this because we had started with Zorro, which surprised mm-hmm. me with its comedy. And then we went to all the Almodovars, which surprised me just in every way possible. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then seeing the person that I know is capable of all that just be so still and still like really charming but just still and confident in a different way with, Mm -hmm. I do think some occasional hints of vulnerability. I think all the stuff with him and the little kid he keeps running into on the street is a little nice scenes. There's a little like mariachi player in training. Mm -hmm. Um, We're so nice. And I was like, Oh, Antonio Banderas is very good with kids. I think that's a, like a good part of his sort of screen persona. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm just sort of like disinclined to be interested in, I don't know, someone who's mostly a badass. Like, for whatever reason, like, right now, that's just hitting me in a time in my life where I'm, like, I don't get excited, I think, about the the personality of that. Does that make sense? You know, yeah, it's like... you want more say, vulnerability. Like, yeah, maybe. You know, it's like, I don't I don't want to dump on this movie that much, you know, but it just, it just like, it didn't, like, spark for me that much, mm-hmm. I think. I also had some issues with the with the story, such as it is. Mainly the sort of, like, spending time on introducing characters who then didn't really yes. seem to, like, matter at all. Like the random sort of kickboxing scene with yeah. one of the henchmen's henchman who then is not a character <laughs> in the rest of the film. That's right. Who just, like, he appears and you're like, is he going to do some crazy kung fu shit? And then he just, like, gets shot. And and the, like, the whole thing with Danny Trejo 
as the throwing knife guy mm-hmm. who this whole time you're like is this gonna be a guy who really poses the big threat to the to the mariachi or is he gonna be a guy who secretly like helps out the mariachi and the answer is like neither he's a guy who like he throws a couple <laughs> knives at the mariachi and then he gets into like he's a villain but then he gets into a misunderstanding with the other villains and just then they they fight each other mm-hmm. and i'm like that's what that was building to just this misunderstanding i kind of didn't believe this until i read it or i didn't realize it till i read it but I don't think Danny Trejo has a, has a single line in this movie. I think it is a fully silent performance. Wow. Which, like, kudos to him. Like, talk about screen yeah, presence. He was imp- yeah, he was impactful with, in this. <laughs> with no lines. Wow, that's so funny. Yeah. I didn't realize that. You know, I also watched Spy Kids right after, and he's got a lot more of a... He's got, he's got more to say in that one, so... Well, this is, you know, interesting, too, because I think so much of... Antonio's American career really is the 90s. Mm-hmm. Like he does this, he does Evita, he does Mask of Zorro. And then, you know, I feel like in the 2000s, he really does kind of largely turn into like family movie guy mm-hmm. between Spy Kids and Shrek 2 and Puss in Boots and, and, and whatnot. Yeah. And I'm sure for a certain generation, which maybe is not quite our generation, I think we're a little too old for it, but I'm sure there are a lot of kids who's sort of primary attachment to Antonio Banderas is sort of as a kid's movie. They maybe think of him in the same category as like uh, Steve Martin, you know? Mm. know, Yeah, that's a good parallel. Like 90s dad. Yeah, yeah. Father of the Bride, Mm -hmm. Bread the Dozen kind of a thing. Yeah, and then you go, if you you were that Steve Martin dad generation, you go back to his earlier stuff, you're like, what is What? Yeah, for those of us who had seen Mask of Zorro to go back and watch Almodovar was like a trip. But then right. to to if all you've seen is Spy Kids, Shrek 2, and the SpongeBob movie, and then you go back and watch Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down, you're it you're in for a a real roller coaster <laughs> ride. Oh my god, yeah, the SpongeBob movie. So but then what's funny too is it's not just like he's in action slash romance mode into kid mode. It's like, as we keep saying, the kid mode is sort of riffs on his earlier yeah. personas like literally yeah. in Puss in Boots but then the fact that the Spy Kids movies of which I think there are three I was a little I didn't go that deep on the Spy no, Kids no there's there's four there's I don't think I think he might he's credited on the fourth one I think it might just be like archival footage sure <laughs> they just have him you know smashing the third brain again or something but yeah. um but yeah the, so so there's there's at least he appears in at least three mm-hmm. and then those are all Rodriguez films so that's like the yep. other transition point i think we both rewatched spy kids for this as well yeah can we do a little spy kids corner spy kids corner spy kids corner uh man i should have i should have interviewed my cousins but um they would have been i could not imagine a modern day child watching this movie like i enjoyed watching spy kids but i cannot imagine the intense 2001 energy of this movie it's bizarre (laughs) would translate to a child yeah i don't know or maybe it would because kids like you know as i sort of mentioned before like kids a kid does not know the difference between Snow White from the 30s mm-hmm. and Mulan from the 90s, despite the fact that we can now see huge cultural differences. So maybe the kids would find Spy Kids normal or not. I don't know. But there are definitely some things that you do not see in a lot of other kids' <laughs> movies. But it is really like, where to begin on it? I mean, it's first off, like coming from... Desperado, which I think of as a great like practical effects movie, like wire work and blood squibs and practical explosions. Spy Kids is this like so much wacky CGI in it, but 
it doesn't bother me, I think, in the way... I mean, it looks kind of like... It looks at times kind of like cringe-inducingly bad by today's special effects standards, but it doesn't irk me in the way that a lot of CGI does because I feel like Robert Rodriguez uses it like a playground. Like, Mm -hmm. it really does feel... In in college, I was in a um, uh, this like troupe that would perform stories written by kids, which was extremely extremely fun and so because, endearing to watch as someone who who came to see those shows. Oh, thank a you, great troupe. Thank you, uh, kids. Like before, they have learned some of the I don't know, like what we would call like the best practices of like structure and cohesion. They write some amazingly twisted. <laughs> stories that will just like bring in crazy things at a crazy time or like you know have these sort of like weird images that you'd be like why oh why does a kid like that that's so like icky or strange and i do think that robert rodriguez somehow sort of channels that there's something about the like the jetpacking around and like the poop jokes and the like like horrible like uh prosthetic creatures that exist as well as just like having a children's tv show host be the like super villain. <laughs> it's just a, it's just I I I I I I I wanted to do a Spy Kids corner, but I don't even know where to begin with that movie. Well, can I give you two Rodriguez quotes that I found? I one, love that. One was the sort of behind the origin story of why he did Spy Kids. Mm-hmm. He said it was because a guy told me his son loved Desperado. I said, "Oh, how old is your son?" He said, six. <laughs> So then Rodriguez goes, fuck, you shouldn't be watching that. I can't make movies like that anymore. <laughs> and he was like, I That's didn't really intend cute. Desperado to be a movie that kids watch, but like, it's happening. So now I need to make them a children's movie. Yeah. Oh, I can kind of see that. Just being like, what is a kid like about Desperado? And how can I do it actually appropriate for a kid? Right. And so then he also said, this really ties into your last point, that you know, he wasn't just making a movie for kids. He says, quote, I wanted this to have the feel like a kid wrote it, shot it, edited it, and directed it. Absolutely. Okay, I didn't I didn't know about that quote, but I think he knocked that goal out of the park. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It really does seem to have come from the mind of children yes. in a way that lots of great children's entertainment doesn't do or strive to do that. You know, that's not tantamount to making good kids entertainment, but it does make for something very interesting and memorable here. And I think you really do kind of see a through line from Desperado because I think one thing I was thinking about a lot with Desperado because it features Mm -hmm. a very prominent Quentin Tarantino um, sort of cameo scene, whatever. And Rodriguez and Tarantino are friends and and work together a lot. And I was like, okay, what what am I identifying as the differences between – I think there's a lot of overlap between their sort of love of violence. But I was like, okay, what's the difference? And I think for me is that Tarantino movies always have this like – edgelord bro vibe to them Mm -hmm. which i like tarantino movies i don't mean that as an insult but i think that's kind of like a driving philosophy behind them but i think rodriguez's movies have this looney tunes little boy energy to them like even something as violent as desperado feels to me more like a cartoon yes than a tarantino movie does so to bring the energy of a cartoon into basically a live action cartoon that (laughs) actually really makes sense to me as a continuation of his career yes that he was the right person to do this i think you are absolutely on the money about him creating even his like hard r like blood squibs up the wazoo films feel like and maybe this is why i like vibed with them as a teenager they feel like a young 
<laughs> young like toy gun carrying boys idea of like what like drug dealers and gangsters and violence like what that is i mean and even the sex scene feels a little bit like a 12 year old being like this is what sex is yeah i rub my spur a, on her butt and there's a lot of candles everywhere <laughs> there's a thousand candles and i yeah yeah we're just kind of like rolling around on the bed together <laughs> Yeah. Um, had, had you seen Spy Kids? Did you grow up with Spy Kids or anything? Yeah, I saw it. I saw it on my birthday. Wow! As a, as a, at the theaters for your birthday? Yeah. <gasps> oh my gosh! That's yeah. So cute. Yeah. So right, right after. So I know that it came out in late March of what is it? Two thousand one. Yeah. Yeah. Late March. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that quite clearly. Uh, wow. So you really have. You really, this is four I mean, I say that. I remember one time I went to see the Queen Latifah movie Taxi on my birthday, and I wouldn't call that a formative film for me, so I guess well, there's not really a correlation. That's a great pull of a counterexample there. But yeah, I would say that Spy Kids is definitely like a big one for me um, mm. uh, in, in my past. And it is interesting because it does not really fit in with a lot of other kids' movies, you know? It's not like, it's not like oh yeah, you like Beauty and the Beast, well- yeah, there's like there's like 15 other movies that are really made in a lot of ways in a similar mold as that. Mm-hmm. Or you know, yo, you like Iron Man? Well, here's great <laughs> yeah. news. There's like there's like 25 other of those, but there are not a lot of Spy Kids esque films. Right. The one I was thinking of, what was that movie where I think it was Frankie Muniz and maybe Amanda Bynes and they die? Paul Giamatti Blue, <laughs> Big Fat Liar. Is that the same? These were all movies. Okay, so I had never seen Spy Kids until mm-hmm. literally last night. These were all movies that either were- I felt a little too old for or maybe just weren't my style of movie. But they were just, you know, I watched a lot of Nickelodeon and Disney Channel and I feel like I saw the trailers for Spy Kids and for Big Fat Liar like yeah. every day of my life for a- for like a full year. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I feel like Big Fat Liar is a little more in the um the most uh, sort of I think critically successful in being Home Alone, but I feel like yeah. there's a, there's like okay. some Jim Varney movies and th- there's basically like the genre of like like a grown up messes with kids and then the kids dump a whole bucket of slime on him and you know they tie yes. tie roller skates to his feet and that abusive kind of thing. So, antics done yeah abusive children. antics yes which also has some of its roots in Looney Tunes but feels a little more sort of just like typically snarky nineties thousands mm-hmm. to me whereas the sort of like madcap inventiveness of Spy Kids is not yes. I think an element of those of those films just the like. The fooglies and the thumb thumbs and the like this the like thumb thumbs. This movie is castle. full on insanity. Yeah, and the whole the like the clearly like just getting into this like prosthetics designer idea and having this like heavily featured machine that like turns you into like a horrible like claymation mm-hmm. animal. Like Antonio Banderas gets transformed into like a this like freaky ass gingerbread <laughs> man. <laughs> little kid is like it's dad and there's like a genuine dramatic moment where he's holding the hand of they're called fooglies yes the fooglies these this big thing and it's like it's wearing into the nurse's sweater but it's got this like big goofy <laughs> face and uh, yeah, this yeah. movie is truly you could not just make like this is a movie that you need in auteur with a lot of power to make mm-hmm. because it is so strange and unconventional yes. Yeah. In a way that I think is ultimately very endearing, but is also kind of inexplicable. Yes. And it's really like, this is one of those, like, if you're, if this had hit me just a few years earlier, speaking as a kid who was like 
flat out refused to go into a Chuck E. Cheese because I was afraid of animatronics mm. and just like weird big faces and big eyes. Uh, 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 this 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 movie could could nightmare fuel you a little bit, but it's I do. I, yeah, it's demented. It's yeah. But there's also, I think, a very sweet earnestness to it, which maybe does set it apart from those slightly more mean spirited Home Alone. Yes. Big Fat Liars movie, because it is yes. ultimately about the power of family mm-hmm. or, you know, the spy family that has to come together. And you really do get the sense of love between them. And weirdly, they feel like a very realistic family. There's mm-hmm. something about the way the kids argued and the dynamic of the siblings that Completely felt so spot agree. on. As a fellow older sibling yeah. of, of a pair of two, you know, I totally thought that like, it's kind of hard hitting the, the mm-hmm. kids like constant antagonism. You know, it's not like, it's not like a one throwaway scene at the beginning of the movie, like a Freaky Friday thing to show that they have this. It's like all the way through, they are constantly butting heads in a way that to me felt authentic. Yeah. Yeah. But also like less sort of stylized, we're writing character arcs, more just like, yeah, these are kind of everyday observations about how siblings are. Yeah. And sometimes your little sibling's annoying, but sometimes they're right. And then you're like, oh, damn, they were right. Now I have to admit that they were right yeah. about something. Were yeah. you the Carmen of your sibling dynamic? Yeah, probably. Probably. I mean, I guess I'm a little bit less of like a, I don't know, a alpha than Carmen is, but I was the older <laughs> sibling. So I, you know, yeah. I played that role for a little bit. I was really, I don't think my sibling dynamic was exactly like this, but I was really relating to Carmen's just general bossy know-it-all energy <laughs> as a yeah. former slash current bossy know-it-all Yeah, I, I was definitely a little bit of a bossy know-it-all as well. I mean, yeah, I, I think that I never, I didn't have what you might have called a bossy personality, but I did tend to to try to direct the people around me. I was definitely yes. a director in the in the making that makes sense in probably a highly insufferable way <laughs> but yeah i like that the kids are at the forefront a lot and you mm-hmm. kind of see they're like not they're not like stellar performers but you know it is it is fun uh like it's just kind of fun having them like doing all these bits and like flying around on jetpacks and changing their little spy outfits and doing these yeah. little fight scenes i think they fit well for what the movie is asking of them and i also think it's fun that really, if there's a butt of the joke of this movie of Spy Kids, it really is kind of Antonio Banderas, like mm-hmm. of the four Cortez, you know, family members. Yes. He is kind of the most, he thinks he's the suavest one, but the movie yes. kind of thinks he's the least competent one. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really, it's funny to think of, you know, Rodriguez casting him in this desperado perfect hero role and then being like and now you're the kind of like dumb dad in this yeah it is a little it's a little uh it feels like there is some meta like there is playing on the fact that he was an established action star here and i love this little prologue where the great and underrated carlo gugino like tells the story of falling in love she tells the story of the two spies who fell in love and it's just a very funny like trope filled scene there's this great image of them like him like flicking the little uh engagement ring case like across the railing at the eiffel tower and her picking it up and fireworks going off and in that you get this idea of him like being like he truly was this like suave super spy so then to see him become the like the guy who can't really like give up his like his younger day dreams of like continuing to embody this personality and you know having him do the like 
fall flat on his face and get his like face all smooshed up pancaked against him <laughs> well yeah that too yeah <laughs> yes when he falls yeah i think it's a fun sort of takedown of his persona in a different way than puss in boots is like leaning into the coolness of the persona but making it a cat and this yes. is leaning into antonio banderas as a hot person but his actions are all a little bit goofy yeah I think in many ways, Spy Kids is a much more successful riff on what True Lies was trying to do. Ah, yeah. But but like the power dynamics make more sense because kids hiding that their parents hiding that they're spies from their kids is like a natural tie in to what the power dynamics always are, where like your parents Mm -hmm. are not being fully honest with you because they're trying to protect you. Like that's not toxic. (laughs) Yes. And then the joke becomes, oh, but the kids are better and they're going to kind of like have to save the parent. It's just like subverting Mm -hmm. everything in a more clever way than sort of all the toxicity of true lies. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, so yeah, Spy Kids is a wild movie. Uh, I don't have a ton to say about it, but I was glad to like revisit (laughs) it on this little Rodriguez series. The the like odds and ends shout outs that I need to give for Spy Mm -hmm. Kids are I love Alan Cumming in this. So good. So weird. And I was sweet. debating if we could do an Alan Cumming series. I think it might be hard to like find enough films for him, but I would love to do one. Yeah, gosh. I mean, Josie and the Pussycats, Goldeneye, Spice you know, World. Spice Girl, Spice World. I feel like too. Uh, did you ever watch Reefer Madness, the movie musical? Yeah. Oh, we oh, would definitely do Reefer Madness. Love in there. that film. Um, we could do an Alan Cumming. Yeah, series. I was thinking that about Tony Shalhoub, who I didn't remember oh, as yeah. well in this, but. Tony Shalhoub is like, the guy is astounding. He is so freaking good in everything he's in. He has uh-huh. like, what, like three to six minutes of screen time in this. But uh, I think he's great. I think he really knows how to break up a line. Uh, I love him. And uh, Shalhoub. Yeah. yeah, the Shalhoub. Shout outs to the Shalhoub. Weirdly, the Wikipedia page for Spy Kids, I, it must have been that somebody had just asked Shalhoub a lot of questions about the is making of the with movie. His he is like the only one giving quotes on the Spy Kids <laughs> page. That is, that is a funny little piece of uh, Wikipedia trivia. But then this actually ties into a bigger point I wanted to make, because one of the things that, that good old Shalhoub is saying a lot in there is that he, you know, wanted to make a kids movie because he had kids and he wanted to make something he could bring them to. And I'm sure that was an influence for Rodriguez, who has a bunch of kids too. But I mainly just wanted to like talk a little bit about like Antonio as a dad, which I think, I, I feel like we made this point on the Meg Ryan series maybe, but sometimes where there's these actors who who they kind of go a, away a little bit, as I think mm-hmm. you can argue that maybe Banderas did in the like late, or kind of throughout the 2000s really, and mm-hmm. then sort of has started to come back more recently. You know, maybe that's just because they're parenting. <laughs> yeah. So as we said, he he gets together with um, Melanie Griffith in like 1995, around the time of Desperado. So he has he has a baby named Stella with Melanie in 1996. And Melanie at that point also has an 11-year-old son and little 7-year-old Dakota Johnson. And oh, right. I, I mainly I just wanted that. to do a sidebar about how incredibly sweet I find the Dakota Johnson-Antonio Banderas relationship to be. Oh, please. And this goes on through um, when Antonio and and Melanie divorce around like 2014, 2015. But they just go on. Like, I think even in recent interviews, 
Antonio will say of Melanie, he's like, we're no longer married, but probably she's my best friend. Like, they just have the sweetest oh. dynamic. And that includes the the Dakota of it all. There was some, I'll, I'll link to this video in our show notes, but she sort of presented him some, you know, Hollywood actor award, I think it was called in 2019. And she gives this like incredibly moving speech as she's giving it to him. And she says, I come from a family of many a marriage and I got very lucky. I got a bonus dad who I realized that over time is actually one of the most influential people in my whole life. She says, when I was six years old, my mom married a man who brought an unbelievably bright light and a whole new world of creativity and culture and one remarkably magical little sister into our family. And like the whole thing is like that she's like, his English was very abstract and we found that absolutely amazing. It's just like the sweetest little speech. And then there's another article where he said that that I think all of the kids, the two the two uh, kids from Melanie's previous marriage, but maybe especially Dakota, she would call him Paponio as a mix of Papa and Antonio. <laughs> Paponio. Oh man, isn't that just so cute? Yeah, and I it, it, this is not something that has I think stuck to my image of him. Maybe just because he's always playing these like I don't know like sexy badasses. Mm-hmm. But uh, but the idea of him just like fathering is really is really nice, and it's it's nice to to think that you know you know each one of his one of his kids is like oh yeah, Paponio is super important <laughs> to me. Yeah. I just think it's so sweet. I really just yeah. like that whole that whole dynamic, and I think that I'm sure that that would feed into wanting to do a bunch of kids movies yeah. around that time that his kids are you know, in in their various stages of (laughs) being kids. Certainly. And probably just working less. And the fact that Melanie is also a working actor. I think at some point in here, in the early 2000s, she um, went back to rehab, that she sort of like publicly talked about that whole experience. And then I think a lot of times where there's a celebrity couple and they both work, you'll kind of take turns working or not Mm -hmm. working. And I don't know, I haven't found any direct interview where Antonio has talked about that being a motivation for him doing a little bit less work in the in the 2000s. So that's, you know, speculation on my part. But I don't know, I feel like maybe there's something to to just like, people's careers are not just their careers, it's also their life. Yeah. And I think sometimes when we're just discussing actors, we kind of forget that element of it. Yeah. And as I've said before in the show, I fully support speculation, uh, <laughs> grounded or ungrounded. So uh, yeah, but that that makes sense to me. Yeah, and then it was cute that, you know, Spy Kids, he's so good with kids, and um, Desperado, weirdly, a movie you would not expect him to have scenes where he's good with kids in. But it's it kind of pivotal, kind of pivotal. Although it's like the, 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 the one of the most pivotal moments is the kid getting sort of shot off screen. You're like, wait, is he dead? Is he, uh, is he okay? But then he, he has his, like, one of his final his final bits is like a savior little, moment. Yeah, he saves kid, and then he like, he's in the hospital, like, talking to the kid, and then he goes out. And I think, I think they... Uh, the 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 ending of this film for all that it has like kind of a weirdly like skipped final action scene mm-hmm. which i found baffling in the watch and then i heard or i read was um actually had to do with like it being so violent that the mpaa was like cut this shot this shot this shot this shot this shot and this shot and rodriguez is like well then i don't have a scene so we'll just fade to white with the implication that he Killed everybody else left on the thing. Yeah. But then the final, the, the ending sequences, I think, are are pretty good and charming. I love, I love, I love Selma Hayek picking him up in the Jeep and him bringing back their, their so little callback and then It's and so satisfying off. and yeah. again, so disappointing with what the sequel chooses to do because the end of this first, mo- this movie, I'm like, yes, now I just want to watch a bunch of movies where it's the two of them on the road doing their 
cool action hero thing. Well, the the next one is non-canon. It's non-canon. Okay, never happened. It never happened. They just Listen, did a bunch of action together. I learned to embrace that philosophy during the formative year when Pirates of the Caribbean 2 and X-Men 3 came out. And I was like, my franchises can betray me. And so I will just choose which part of them I want to engage with and which part of them I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense to me. Any other, uh, what are we, anything we're leaving on the table with, uh, with Desperado? There was a thought where I was like, what if we just did a Cheech and Chong <laughs> series? I we love just did five Cheech. Cheech and Chong. That's what we need to talk about. We need to talk about Please. Cheech. He's freaking great. Have you ever heard of Cheech the school bus driver? No. My name is Cheech and I am a school bus driver. No. I never, ever, ever lose my way. Though we may be a minute late or two or four or 68, I never, ever, ever lose my... That's right. I never lose my... Let's see which way. I love this. As the person who usually does more of the singing on the podcast, that was such a delightful treat for me. I could do more songs from this album. It's an educational children's album where Cheech is a school bus driver. And then he teaches and learns from, in a really cool and humble way, all of these kids on his school bus. There's 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 one called Trading Lunches which is basically about learning to like food from other cultures. Uh, there's a math one that I remember. There's a space one. Really, Trading Lunches is the one that... Uh, trading Lunches. <laughs> and this is all just a audio, audio album? Audio. Just audio. Wow. Yeah. That's so wholesome. Yeah, really good. So that was my introduction to Cheech. Probably followed by... Did you by... have this? You like grew up listening to oh, this? Oh, constantly. Oh, yeah. my gosh. So you were like an early... He was, he was injected into your veins from yeah. an early age. Yeah, I was a Cheech fan from the age of probably like five. <laughs> you know, I didn't watch Up in Smoke, but <laughs> but I knew that. You know what? That's smart on his. He's like, I'm going to get the kids early and then just I'll have content for them to grow he's into. A great entertainer, you know? So, and you know, he has Lion King. Yes. Did we order this meal to go? No, because there it goes. Anyway. <laughs> it's a, he's a funny example of sort of somebody, and I think this happens a lot, somebody that starts out as like a little more of a counterculture figure mm-hmm. and then gets embraced in the like family fun realm. Yeah. Like I think of somebody like Ice Cube, I feel like mm. has had that trajectory and you're like, wow, it's crazy that like American mainstream culture was very afraid of this person for a long time. And yeah. now it's like, oh, the guy from all the funny kids movies that we love. Yeah, that's, yeah, he's had a wild. <laughs> Ice Cube has had that about as strong. <laughs> that's a perfect example. And then even Teach, you see him, you know, the tough bartender in Desperado, and then like fun Uncle Felix in Spy Kids. Does Uncle Felix ever get rescued? Maybe he just stays as a. I feel like they just, they never reverse the flugally. No, they don't. They don't have time to go back and find him. But I bet he's in the sequels. Yeah, I'm sure. But see, with with Spy Kids, that's where you have the whole fun of having just freaking Danny Trejo as a badass. Yeah. He's being nice, you know, Cheech. But, uh,. But yeah, Cheech is really, really heavy. I mean, so is Danny Trejo. He's in Snickers commercials, you know. It's funny that Des- I'm just not realizing Desperado and Spy Kids both ultimately culminate in sort of an Antonio Banderas brother, either reveal or oh, yeah. just that tying in somehow. Yeah. Got what- a secret. A brother you haven't spoken to a while who is pivotal to the climax. wonder what Robert Rodriguez's brother is yeah. like. He's got to be out there. Okay, what about Bucho? He's like, he's all right. Yeah, it doesn't make a huge impression on me. I would say, and maybe this is my problem with Once Upon a Time in Mexico, mm-hmm. as they may or may not have said on the podcast, I my least favorite genre is like gangster movies, organized crime movies. 
Yeah, so the more can't, Desperado... Can't agree with that, but go on. <laughs> I know. It's a controversial <laughs> you know, opinion. You know. But I feel very strongly about it. Yeah. The more the, the sort of mariachi trilogy leans into the organized crime side of things, which I would say is the vast majority of Once Upon a Time in Mexico, the mm. less interested I'm, I am in it. Yeah. The more it leans into sort of Western tropes, the more interested I am in it. So I would say or, Bucho fits on the side of the movie that I'm less interested in. Yeah. Love when the other mariachis show up at the end. Great yeah. sequence. I really like what. So they end up shooting. Their sort of guns are just built into the guitar. Cases. The guitar cases like are the guns. But there's one point where, where <laughs> the guy who's in the original movie like reloads the mm-hmm. guitar cases by sort of like similar to the moment in the Henry Cavill moment, yeah. <laughs> whatever Mission Impossible trailer where people are like Fall he's out. reloading his arms. <laughs> Yeah. It was a similar, like, goofy moment where he's just kind of, like, lifting up guitar cases, but we accept the reality of what's happening. Uh, uh, with Robert Rodriguez definitely being in on the joke. Henry Cavill yes. uh, <laughs> potentially being in on the joke. But, yeah, the, like, the the one-two punch of, like, oh, I guess these guys also carry guns in their guitar cases. And they swerve you with the guitar case actually being a machine gun. And then you're like, now I've seen everything. And then the next one is like a bazooka. It's like a rocket Extremely launcher. And he always funny. does with a move where he sort of like does a ballet. Mm-hmm. Almost pose. Oh, that was the other thing I wanted to say mm-hmm. about Desperado. I think Antonio Banderas, like he just moves in this really interesting dancer way. Yeah. Like he's true. a very, he's a small person, not necessarily in height, but like, I feel like his build is just very slight. He's not very bulky. small. He's sort no, of he's costumed. This is probably the bulkiest he looks, but even mm-hmm. so, he's like a yeah, he's like a dancer. Yeah, but I feel like the movie leans into that in a mm-hmm. really cool way. Yeah, because a lot of the stuff isn't just shooting; it's like jumping over a bar, jumping off the roof, and there's this physicality to it that I think is so separate from something like a Tom Cruise in a Mission Impossible, or apparently that's the only action franchise I can think of today. <laughs> <laughs> there's something that feels so distinct Jason about Bourne. his. Physical, yeah, There's yeah, exactly. Franchise. Then, yes, yeah, fully. Like the Matt Damon brawler is so mm-hmm. different than the graceful Antonio Banderas, and that ties into the other scene I forgot to mention. But we just get like an extended musical number Love of Antonio scene. Banderas, I think, really singing. Yeah, and it's great. And he kind of like is doing this performance halfway through the performance, kind of walks over and like breaks up a bar fight. Yes, <laughs> without missing a beat, goes back, finishes the performance. Yeah, I love that that scene is in the movie. I think that's a really great. It's like I guess it's ultimately revealed to be a dream sequence, but I'm like, and it's the credits. It's it's great. It's a great scene. Love that song. It's so good. So yeah, I think that that those. That like graceful musical side, which maybe is less foregrounded because so much of it is just the brutal action. But when those moments come through, I think they're really cool. And he, again, he does them, he does them really well. And that is something that that distinguishes this character from some of the truly one note stoic. I don't know. I'm like just there's so many action protagonists in this mold that you know, like I feel like. No shade to Jason Statham and Gerard Butler, who I think are capable of turning in performances, but they also probably each have about like 10 movies where they play a guy with like literally no personality at mm-hmm. all. Um, and a lot of, you know, a lot of, there's there's a lot of those out in the world. And probably there's some in, in Antonio Banderas' filmography as well. I mean, you know, I feel like I actually once watched this movie, Ballistic X versus Sever, where it's, <laughs> you heard of that? No, but uh, the name says it all. It's yeah, that's X spelled E C K S. It's Antonio Banderas mm. versus Lucy Liu, and that whoa is a bad 
bad action movie. <laughs> but um, but yeah, there are these touches that I think do set this character apart and and make this a more interesting film than others that might get um, I don't know, shelved next to it mm-hmm. at the video store. Yes, and I also think again this leads into the same thing we talked about in our Zorro episode, where there's the slightly weird thing of Antonio Banderas being a Spanish actor, largely cast as like mexican or south american roles yes but that aside i think it's cool that robert rodriguez is so intentionally like you know bringing bringing a mexican action hero to life in desperado and then i think bringing a latino family to life as these cool spies and spy kids like i think that wasn't something you always saw up until that point yeah and so i think that those are those are nice little touches yes yeah i totally agree and it's interesting to think back like to the 90s like I don't feel, I don't get the impression that in a lot of uh, sort of mainstream white-centered discourse that we were talking about Latino as much. I think we were talking about Hispanic. That was like, that was a sort of a term that was used all the time in the 90s, which I think discourse has kind of moved away from because it's like, uh, that's not so much a culture. That's a, that's a language that like Mm -hmm. spans oceans and things. But, but so, you know, I think probably the thinking here was he's, he's cast one of the great Hispanic actors. In yeah. this as this Hispanic lead. But yeah, I totally agree that like that is not something to be discounted about these films that he is a he's a Latino filmmaker putting Latino or at least Hispanic uh, stories mm-hmm. front and center. And in so many different genres, you know, in yeah. the desperado stoic western and then in the goofy spy kids. Yeah. And world. then in all these like super fun gory horror films like yeah. Dusk Till Dawn and Planet Terror and I'm sure he's made others. I also love that Spy Kids follows the opposite of the normal Disney logic. The Disney cartoon logic is that the girl children look like the mom and the boy children look like the dad. Mm -hmm. But in Spy Kids, they give the girl the dad's hair color and the boy the mom's hair color. Yeah. And I like that as a sort of portrait of a family choice. Yeah, they're a cute little, cute little family. They are. So... What a span we've covered. Yeah, yeah, we've been all over the place. We're going, we're, we're, we're reaching pretty far with these. I can't believe we've only done three Antonio episodes. We've watched so many films so far. We have. We've dug deep. And we've, we've spanned just in this episode alone from sexual rats to fuglies. <laughs> That's right. What are you? Comment below. Are you a sexual rat or a fugly? What? A- or are you a little bit of both? The two, the two genders, the sexual rat. Ah, yes, the two genders. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think let's I think let's be honest with the situation we're in right now. We will be discussing an Antonio Banderas movie next week, but I haven't yet fully decided what it is. <laughs> this is something I'm going through a lot with this. I'm watching these movies as we go through the series. Things are fast and loose, whatever. It's our show. We will have a movie for you in two weeks' time. And when that happens, you will find out what it is. Maybe we'll even say on the Twitter, you know, sure. what we'll announce what it what we've chosen once we've chosen it. But uh, <laughs> I mean, the the problem is Antonio has just given us too many options. So I think it's many. hard. It's been hard to distill his career down because it is perhaps even even a longer reaching career, or maybe a, a less easy to delineate career than a lot of the people we've covered so far yeah i think we have got our final movie picked out and for the fourth spot we are just trying to decide between two films which sort of um encapsulate or uh or or represent two different significant angles of his career 
So stay tuned and you'll find out which one we choose to focus on and which one will get a little shout out along the way. Me gusta tocar guitarra, me gusta cantar el sol. Roll Calling is produced and recorded by us, Ned Baker and Caroline Cena. Our theme music was created by Patrick Buddy, and our logo was designed by Nick Wansersky. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram. Either one is at Roll Calling, or you can email us at rollcalling at gmail.com. That's Roll, R-O-L-E. We'll be back in two weeks with another Antonio Banderas film. Until then... Ned, did I thank you? No. I will. <laughs>